And now please turn in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 5 and verse 14. You can find this on page 115 in the Pew Bible. Uh, We started a little Advent series on the opening chapters of the book of Leviticus just to look at what's called the Manual of Offerings. And there in these first actual seven chapters of uh, Leviticus, you have described there are five different offerings that the people were to bring under certain circumstances before the Lord. And we've been talking about how each one of these offerings uh, gives us a different perspective on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus offering is the true offering. Uh, These were uh, shadows, in a sense, types of that offering. We talked about that if you were here for the morning Sunday school class. And uh, because Christ accomplishes so much in his work, uh, one offering wasn't enough to picture that appropriately for us. So this is why the Lord gave his people in the Old Testament these various different offerings. So here we read the fifth and the final one. And then my plan is to uh, start a brief series through the book of Ruth, uh, just as, uh, to fit in with the, going through the book of Judges, which we did uh, last year. So I'm going to begin at chapter 5, verse 14. And then I'll read down to chapter 6, verse 7. This is the word of God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, with your valuation in shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering." And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance, in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying, to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he has extorted from his neighbor if he's found uh, what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what he has what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven." For any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we consider it together this morning.
Well, when I was a graduate student at the university, one of my uh, lab mates, another, another graduate student, um, was a, a young man who struggled uh, mightily with uh, sort of feelings of uh, paranoia and anxiety. And so I remember well, I may have told you this before, but uh, there was a particular uh, time when he was uh, talking to the rest of us there and explaining how this professor had it in for him and that professor was out to get him and, and going on and on. And when there was a lull in the conversation, one of the other students said, yes, and just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people really aren't out to get you. Um, which is an interesting reality. Yes, uh, you, you are paranoid, and maybe you're just imagining all this, but it could be that people are really out to get you. Uh, they weren't, I don't think, in his case. Now, what's interesting is that people in the church uh, sometimes struggle um, with feelings of guilt, and this can really lead to struggles. And even though we know what the Bible says about what Christ has done for us, that this can be a challenge for us. And similar to this graduate student that I knew, uh, it is possible that even though you feel guilty, maybe you're a person with a sensitive conscience, it doesn't mean you aren't actually guilty. And part of what's going on in this sacrifice is that the Lord is wanting you maybe to realize, yes, I probably am guilty in ways that I don't even realize, but at the same time, God has provided for that guilt, that guilt that causes a debt before God. God has taken away that guilt, and God has paid your debt through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really the secret to experiencing the joy of your salvation and freedom from guilt is understanding your guilt, but also what God has done to take care of it. And so the main point I want you to see as we look at this passage this morning is that Jesus pays all your debts and removes your guilt so you can live a debt-free life in him. And children, if you want to draw a picture, uh, draw what's unique about this sacrifice, which is that there's a ram, but there's also money that's given as a part of this. And you listen uh, for what that uh, teaches us about God. Well, there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want us to notice is that treating God with a lack of respect is a pervasive and deadly sin. Now, there's been some debate about this offering. As I just read at verse 15, if a man commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord his trespass offering. And some of the confusion here about what's going on, and I would say this is probably the, the least well understood um, and familiar of the five offerings. It is unique from the sin offering that we studied last week. Um, there are unique aspects to this. There's no choice. The animal has to be a ram. That's a pretty high bar uh, to offer a ram. Uh, in addition, uh, this, this need for repayment is also in here. But what's also different is the occasion for this offering. Now, depending on your translation, in the New King James, it said if, if you commit a trespass, and so this is called the trespass offering. If you have the NIV 
or the ESV or the New American Standard. They call it the guilt offering, and that's probably a better translation of the original Hebrew word, but it still doesn't exactly explain what's going on because in all the different offerings, guilt is a factor. So how is this only the guilt offering? Um, and it's for this reason that some of the commentators actually prefer to call this offering the, uh, the restitution offering or the compensation offering or the, or the reparation offering because uh, the, the most unique feature of this is it involves a payment of money on top of uh, the sacrifice. Verse 16, he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in, in regard to the holy things. Now, one of the things that's common in all the translation is that this has to do with the holy things of God. So my, my translation says a trespass against the holy things. Uh, some other translations talk about unfaithfulness uh, to the holy things. I think the ESV probably is the best here. It says a breach of faith with regard to the holy things. So the idea here is that uh, there are some obligations we have before God and we have not met those obligations. Some people would say this could be called sacrilege. We're dishonor dishonoring God and desecrating what is holy. And there are three different scenarios that were described in the text. So in verses 15 and 16, an unintentional sin. So Again, this is, uh, we talked about this before, without really knowing it or intending to, um, you, you violated uh, one of God's standards. So maybe you brought an animal that actually had a defect for a sacrifice or something like this, but that was not known to you. So there is possible to do this unintentionally. And then in verses 17 to 19, there, this is for suspected cases, and that's really interesting. So um, all there is is a guilty feeling, uh, we're told in verse 17. If he commits a sin in, in these things which are not to be done, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty. And the idea here is he has a sense of guilt, even though he can't really put his finger on what he did. And here you see how uh, the person with a sensitive conscience could especially be falling victim to this kind of thing. So there are provisions made for this case as well. And then finally in chapter 6 verses 1 to 7, you have what are really seem to be intentional sins, like they, they're all different forms of defrauding. Uh, like you, you take something that you're watching for another person or you find something that's lost and you don't turn it in. But, what, but the reason they are, they are listed here is because the perpetrator has also invoked God's name in the process. It, it mentions that the, the person has sworn falsely in some way. So that's the reason these are included as well because you're using God and God's name in the act of fraud. Now, again, these, these are self-reported. So these are not cases where your neighbor catches you and brings you and then you're tried and you're found guilty. That's a totally different situation and there's no provision for a sacrifice for that. This is a case where one of these things happen and the individual who's guilty recognizes it and then wants to respond and deal with that guilt. And so it's a gracious provision in the law to allow a person to self-report and to fix these sins. And it's sort of hard for us maybe to appreciate today how serious this kind of sin is because 
routinely in our culture, people uh, sort of dishonor the things of God, right? So the name of God is constantly profane. God is laughed at. Religious things are mocked. Christians are attacked just for being Christians. One of the most commonly used curse words is, in fact, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in many ways, we're just surrounded by a culture that constantly is desecrating the things of God that doesn't show the proper honor for God. But the thing to realize here is this sacrifice is directed at people in the church. And so that, that is also something we could consider, we should consider, is that even us in the church aren't properly showing God the reverence and the honor that he deserves as we ought to. And you might think, well, how, how do Christians misuse the holy things of God today? Well, I would submit that we often are tempted to misuse the name of God or, or to call God in on our side when we're actually in the wrong and uh, to use sort of a, an appeal to God to justify our own sin. Or perhaps the way we approach worship, not thinking that we're coming before the presence of a holy God. How we treat um, other Christians and whether we have a critical spirit to those who are holy, they're given over as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we fail to forgive others from the heart, when we fail to give God his due. And there are many ways where we misuse the things of God. We'll talk more about this in just a moment, that this is the kind of sin that we're talking about, failing to honor God. This is a pervasive and a serious sin. But secondly, we see here that abusing the things of God actually creates a debt to God and to our neighbor. And so this is why there is this twofold solution. On the one hand, verse 15 describes bringing a ram without blemish. So there's no option here, as was the case in some of the other offerings. You have to bring a ram. That would be very valuable. It's the largest animal of the flock, and uh, there were fewer males uh, that were kept, uh, so that this is important. And in, in, in addition, there had to be a monetary payment required of the worshiper. And this is because in some way, God has been dishonored or been uh, defrauded. And, and when the text speaks about the holy things, recognize that in particular in this text, what is in view are the sacrifices that are brought and then can be eaten. Uh, so again, not bringing the proper animal, eating the, of those sacrifices when you were in an unclean state, uh, not bringing your tithe in, and all these different ways, in a sense, defrauded God. So our lack of respect for God plays out in a way that we handle these things in ways that, that God doesn't want. And so there's a payment that's due. We've created a debt uh, to the Lord in this way. And this is also what's going on, as I just said, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, where God's name is used falsely in this process of fraud. And so this is compounding the sin and, uh, and calls us then uh, to a debt and to a payment. I put a, a comment from commentator Jay Sklar uh, at Covenant Seminary here. He writes, if ancient Israelites, and this is in the bulletin, if ancient Israelites disrespected the Lord's property in some way by treating it as an everyday item, as in verses 14 to 16, or 
by using it for wicked purposes. Um, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, they were disrespecting the Lord himself. And so this is why there was this added component of uh, fraud involved. And as we misuse the name of God, we also incur this debt. And again, so is this consistent with other places in Scripture? Are we really uh, defrauding God? Do we really have a debt when we commit these kinds of sins? Well, I, I put some examples in your outline. So Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. God calls failure to bring the full tithe, that's 10% of their increase, uh, to him as a form of robbery. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not absolutely convinced uh, that Christians are obligated to give exactly a tithe in the New Testament. I think the logic would be, well, if that was what was the required in the Old Testament, it sort of seems like that should be a minimum standard for New Testament Christians. But the point is, if we're withholding uh, our, what we should be giving to God in thanksgiving to him, God considers that a form of robbery. And so there is a debt, there is an obligation that is incurred. Or how about the fourth commandment, which requires that we give God one day in seven in a special way. Again, if we hold back and if we decide this is a day for me to do my own thing and not to serve God, do we not incur a debt? Or as Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, he says, See that you then walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, that's an interesting idea because Paul's saying there, you know, the time that you have is all God's time, and your job is to redeem that time to walk circumspectly, that is, with wisdom, and to use the time as he wants you to use it. Now, if we add it up all the time that we absolutely waste, I, and I'm right in there with you on this, right? what's the monetary value of all the time you've wasted? It's astronomical uh, in, in God's sight. So again, these kinds of sins where we're not treating God as holy in the way we live our lives, it incurs for us a type of debt. And we read earlier in the service about the ungrateful servant who had a debt of 10,000 uh, talents. And as I said before, that is a number that is akin to uh, infinity. It's like the U.S. debt, which is now $34 trillion. And children, I, you know, what's a trillion dollars? Well, I read someplace that if you took a trillion $1 bills and lined them up end to end, that's farther uh, than the distance from the earth to the sun. It's, 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 it's a little bit farther than that. Um, and just if you don't know, that's a long way. That's a really long way. So that's just one trillion. Uh, and our debt's 34 trillion. So hard to get your mind around that. Uh, it might as well be infinity. It, it just might as well be infinity. And uh, that's the thing to realize when we think about that parable that's what God says your situation is. For all your lack of respect and honor for God and the way you treat the things that are holy in his house, with his people, with your time, with your resources, all of that, you have incurred a debt 
which is like uh, the debt that the U.S. government owes. It's beyond us. And, and we might say, well, it's no wonder uh, some people struggle with guilt. It, 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 you're not crazy if you're struggling with guilt. Sin creates a debt. But thirdly, we see here also that God requires that you pay your debts, that someone pays your debts. Now, uh, we're, we're saying we, we seriously doubt that the, the U.S. debt will ever be paid, but God is not the same way. God demands payment. And so these sins required uh, a payment. You had to re restore what was lost and then add one-fifth to it. Uh, so children, that would be uh, 20%. So, for example, if the debt was $100, you had $100 plus you had to add another $20 to it. Uh, that's what it means to add a fifth. And the idea is you're trying to make whole, uh, whether it's the priest because you've, uh, you've taken some of the offering or something like that, or whether it's a person that you've defrauded, you're trying to restore them plus add 20% to it uh, to make them whole and to compensate them for the loss and for the inconvenience. Now, recognize that that opportunity to restore with only a fifth added is very gracious. And it's only allowed here if the person self-reports. Right? This is not for a person who's caught thieving. In those cases, restitution is 200 or 500 percent, depending on the circumstances. So this is unique. This is, again, the person with the sensitive conscience who recognizes what they've done is wrong and comes to make it right. Then the Lord says you can do that by adding 20%. And this is why, even in the case when a person isn't sure what he has done, which is described in verses 17 to 19, even this person can go before the Lord and have his guilt taken away. Now we might say, how, how is, I mean, especially this one in verses 17 to 19, he doesn't even know what he's done. He just has a feeling that he's guilty. And, and, and so you're saying, well, why don't you just tell that person, hey, forget about it. Um, but that's not what God does. God takes that seriously and, and leads the person into a process that brings about forgiveness and restoration. And one of the things that's going on in the background in all of this, you might say, why might a person uh, begin to feel guilty, is because they knew that many of these kinds of sins, just like they are today, are easy to get away with. I mean, who knows whether you're giving as much as you should be giving to the Lord? Who knows how you're treating and using your time when people aren't watching you? Who knows how you speak about God and the things of God uh, when, when you're not around us? Nobody knows. And because of this, it's very easy to get away with these kinds of sins. And in the background of all of this, God has communicated to them, yes, the people may not know what's going on, but there's one person who always knows what's going on, and that is God. Uh, so God says in Leviticus 7, verse 20, uh, the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean. That's the sin, right? Misusing the holy things. That person shall be cut off from his people. Just something to think about, God's saying. 
uh, you can self-report or you can let me take care of it in my own good time. But you're not getting away. You're not getting away with this. I know what's happening. Or um, what he says in Exodus 20, verse 7. This is the third commandment. You shall not take the, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That commandment has a warning that comes alongside of it. Again, because this is a kind of sin that often no one else would know about, God says, I'll know about it. Uh, the shorter catechism, uh, question 56, talks about why this little, uh, this little reason has been added to the third commandment. The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. And that's the point. God knows what you're doing. And God says your sin incurs a debt. And God says he is going to collect you will have to pay up. And if you don't willingly come to him in this life, you're going to have to face him on the day of judgment. Now, despite the fact that the Supreme Court ruled that the government could not just unilaterally cancel everyone's student debts, um, the government has found ways to cancel billions of dollars of debt. I had a medical appointment and the nurse said, hey, if you've got any uh, family members who owe student debts, you know, tell them to check out this program. I got, you know, $65,000 just canceled. And uh, sort of that's the idea, right? Is that it's, it should, that's the way it should work. Somebody should take care of that for me. But that's not the way it's going to work uh, with our debt to God. God sees our sin, he sees our lack of respect for him, and we incur a debt, and uh, he will require a payment. Uh, the Bible says, it is appointed for man to die once, and then the judgment. So that is the thing we have to keep in mind. But the hope of the passage is, fourthly, that Jesus pays all of your debts fully. So paying this restitution was a part of making the relationship whole, whether it's a sin against God and his, or also other people. But notice that that wasn't enough. We couldn't just bring our money. There had to be this ram that was given. And again, the ram is costly. Uh, the ram is the largest of the flock. The text tells us this ram uh, had to be one without blemish of the proper valuation. So it had to be a good specimen. And you can read uh, in chapter seven, it talks about the specific process here, but it's much like what we've seen in the other sacrifices where the worshiper puts his hand on the ram and confesses his sin and then slits the throat and the blood is drained out. And the blood is actually splashed on the altar and the ram is burned. And the priest does get a portion of the ram, but this ram being sacrificed in place of the worshiper leads to what uh, verse 16 says at the end of it, um, the ram of the trespass offering shall be uh, offered to make atonement for him and 
it shall be forgiven him, that God will forgive our sins for the sake of this perfect substitute that is sacrificed in our place. And this is the case, even if the worshiper does not know what he did wrong. Uh, One of my friends said, perhaps this is like um, when you forget your ticket at the parking garage, and on your way out, you just have to pay whatever the max price is, no matter how long you were there. But that's the provision, right? You, you, we don't even know what you did. We don't, we don't know exactly what the proper payment is, but you offer this ram, and it's covered. And this is a way for your guilty conscience to be assuaged. Now, of course, no animal uh, could ever do that. No animal could actually take away your guilt. And so we know that this is pointing us to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the New Testament never uses this uh, particular term for Christ's offering, but uh, Isaiah does. And in Isaiah 53, where he's clearly talking about the Messiah, he uses the word for this offering, the guilt offering, Uh, in talking about Jesus. And this is in your outline, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's the exact word for what we're talking about here. An offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus Christ was made the guilt offering. Jesus is the one who pays the penalty. He is the reparation which restores us to right standing with God. He pays all of your debts. He's the one who eliminates your debt, the massive debt that you have, and makes it so you can stand in the presence of God. Whether your sin is unintentional, whether it's intentional, whether it's unknown, any sin against the dignity and honor of God. And I, I know some of you listen to uh, Dave Ramsey's radio show where he talks to people about how to get out of debt and to live a debt-free li- life. And one of the things he says is, um, okay, you're, you're going to have to really batten down the hatches and save your money. So he will say it's going to be uh, beans and rice and rice and beans. Uh, have you ever heard that? Right. That's all you're going to eat. Your family's going to be eating beans and rice, rice and beans, uh, for the foreseeable future until you get this mess under control. So he's talking about you got to trim your sails while you pay off this debt and get you out of debt. And, and I think he's, you know, he's right about that. But I think it's really easy for us to think that's how it works with God, too. I just I got to do rice and beans, beans and rice. I just work this debt off. I just got to work harder. I got to be more consistent in my devotional time. I got to pray more. I got to try to do some evangelism. I got if I can get more busy, I can dig myself out of this hole. And you're never going to do it. That is the biggest dead end in the Christian life that you can possibly be in, where you are trying to get yourself out of debt by your activity. The sacrifice is pointing you to the reality that another has got to do this for you. And Jesus Christ is the one who comes and does it. He gives himself as that one offering 
that accomplishes all that God wants it to one time for all time for all of his people. He takes your guilt on himself. He pays your debt. You can't pay it. And if you try to work it off, you will drive yourself to despair and anxiety and guilt and doubt and all the rest of it. Receive Jesus' offer of salvation. Put your hand, lean on the sacrifice. That's the answer to your debt. Jesus pays your debt fully if you have put your faith in him. So finally then, this calls you to break free of paralyzing guilt and live a debt-free life in Jesus. So if you do listen to Dave Ramsey's show, you'll know that the other thing that often happens is they have people come into their building and get on the radio and do the debt-free scream, right? Where he has them, people who've worked their way out of debt, then uh, they yell, what do they yell? I'm debt-free, okay. I know he plays like, uh, he, pray, he, he plays from Braveheart, uh, the guy in the background yelling, freedom! Um, so yes, I'm debt-free, and uh, we're debt-free. And they scream that out loud, and then he asks them questions about how they worked it out. But the point is, these people who have worked so hard to get under, out from under the crushing burden of debt are experiencing a new kind of freedom. The last thing they're doing is in going out from Dave's place and taking out a massive loan for a new car or something else. They're not going right back into debt after they've done all of this to get out of debt. No, they're embracing this new freedom. They're embracing the joy uh, that they have. They're seeking to live in a new way. They're living a life of gratitude. And, And this is how we should be thinking as Christians, that they're... Our debt has been paid. It's gone. Jesus Christ has taken away our guilt. And our response should be, I'm debt free at the top of our lungs. We should be yelling that. Then we should be living as people in whom that's really true. Not immediately going back into the way of thinking where we're overwhelmed with our guilt Uh, not going back to the old way of life, but living in the freedom that he gives us. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's the presence of God working in our lives, telling you there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Last fall, uh, there was a football player at the uh, University, or a Florida State University, who was ejected from a game against Florida for spitting on an opponent. And that is one of the things that you will be ejected from any sport, anywhere from, if you spit on an opponent. Now, why is that? Because being spit on literally doesn't hurt you. I mean, I'd honestly rather be spit on than tackled. That's why I don't play football, right? It's not physically going to injure you. But what does it do? It's such a vile act 
of humiliation and disrespect. We universally understand how bad that is. And do you realize, my friends, that the God of the universe came down from heaven and allowed himself to be spit on? The ultimate desecration of the holy things of God, Jesus Christ, being spit on by his own creatures, even as they nailed him to the cross and killed him in our place. Jesus was willing to suffer, to suffer the disrespect that, frankly, we're all guilty of. And he suffered that so people like us who do not handle the things of God like we should, who do not honor God like we should in all areas of our life, so we could be forgiven and so that we could know the joy of having our sins forgiven and our debts taken away. And that should be a powerful, powerful impulse in your life. Christ endured that for me. He took all that I was due. I'm not guilty. He's taken it away. And that should be the thing that liberates us to live a debt-free life in his presence. Yes, you are guilty. Yes, your guilt has accumulated a tremendous debt. But Christ has paid it all so you can be free to follow and serve him. Trust him. Lean on the Lord Jesus and experience the joy that comes from him. Uh, this is the fifth and the final uh, sacrifice we're going to look at in this little series. Uh, but remember, Christ is that whole burnt offering consumed for you. He is the one who consecrates your work and enables you to serve him. He is the one who gives you peace and fellowship with God. He is the one who takes away your sin and suffers outside the camp so you can be in the camp. And he is the one who is dishonored uh, so that you can be forgiven, have your debts paid, and can live without guilt in his presence. Let's pray and give him thanks. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving us this opportunity to reflect on these Old Testament rituals, which are all drawing on different aspects of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know it's hard for us to, to put our ourselves in the place of the Old Testament worshiper to really fully grasp all that's going on here. But Lord, we know that one thing is clear. We, we are guilty. We have a debt before you and uh, a debt that we cannot cover. And Lord, you graciously provide a way for us and you provide the payment and you provide uh, the, the guilt substitute who takes away our guilt, who pays our debt. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has done that willingly uh, in our place. We thank you for all that he suffered in our place, for all that he endured, and for his perfect righteousness, which you credit to our account. And we pray you would help us, help those of us uh, who do struggle with a sensitive conscience, help, help those of us whose consciences maybe aren't as sensitive as they should be. We pray that, Lord, we would be reminded uh, that we've often not treated uh, the holy things as we should. But at the same time, Lord, help us to recognize that you have paid our great debt 
and you have taken away our guilt. And uh, we pray, Lord, for the proper gratitude that would enable us to live faithfully before you, uh, joyfully experiencing uh, the grace that you give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we'll sing back in praise to the Lord from Psalm 51, selection B. Psalm 51 is a a great psalm of penitence and um, seeking the Lord and forgiveness. You notice here in stanza five, oh, hide your face from all my sin, wipe my guilt from view. A clean heart make for me, O God, my spirit's strength renew. Uh, This is what the Lord promises to do for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see then the the response, uh, verse six, the joy that your salvation brings, that we would have joy. And then seven, oh, free me from blood guiltiness then I, your perfect righteousness, with joyful tongue will laud. Our response is praise and thanksgiving to our Lord. So let's stand. We'll sing Psalm 51b.